So, uh, does anyone here watch American Pickers? You know, I'm talking about History Channel show. Uh, a couple guys from, from out west drive around in a truck and they buy antiques. Um, the other day, uh, it came on and uh, I watched part of an episode. And, um, and one of the pickers spent $3,000 on half of a 1930-something Harley-Davidson uh motorcycle gas tank. So half a tank spent like $3,000. And, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, I mean, he realizes that he can get a 10-year-old Honda for that, right? Like, what's, what's going on? And, and when they came back from commercial, um, you know, they had one of the, uh, the side shots where, you know, they explain what they're doing. Um, and he went on to talk about how over the previous four years, uh, this picker had been buying parts for a 1930-something Harley-Davidson motorcycle. He bought a headlamp here and handlebars there, you know, a seat someplace else, got the frame, you know, in, in another location. And over the course of four years and more than $50,000 later, he finally, in buying the second half of the gas tank, had all the parts that he needed for building his 1930-something Harley-Davidson. To a person who really understands what something is worth, being broken doesn't diminish its value. Because if it's worth it, you can fix it and bring it back to its original design. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in the earth, and it was? And on the sixth day, he created humans in his own image, and they were very. The Bible tells us that God stitches us together in our mother's wombs and has counted every hair on our heads. The, the story of the Bible is that all of creation is good. It has a beautiful design. It, it, this design uh, promotes cooperation and kindness. That God loves creation. That, that creation is held together by the love of God. But all of creation also suffers from brokenness. God loves us so much that he created us with agency. We're not robots that just live out our programming. Instead, God has made us with the ability to create and to choose. And collectively, all too often, we choose selfishness. We choose fear, and in so doing, we tend to create suffering. As a species, we are infected with a virus that tells us that we can't trust outsiders and that there's never enough to go around. But there's a cure to this virus. God entered the human experience as an infant Messiah who grew up and lived a life of selflessness and fearlessness and taught us that we don't have to be afraid. 
In dying, Jesus releases us from the consequences of our rebellion and saves us for restoration into the people who God created us to be. When he rose on the third day, he proved that not even death has the power to separate us from God. And when Jesus returned to the Father's side, he sent the Holy Spirit who is restoring all of creation even now. All of creation, absolutely everything, is good. But all of creation, absolutely everything, is broken. But the good news is that God is restoring all of creation, absolutely everything. The Holy Spirit shows us grace even before we believe. The Holy Spirit strengthens our spirits once we believe. And the Spirit makes us perfect in this life, preparing us for our eternal home, the new creation. And what's most incredible to me, at least, is that we don't need some sort of extraordinary experience to be restored. Because Jesus tells us that whoever seeks will find, whoever knocks, the door will be opened to them. We don't need to go on a heroic quest in order to find salvation. We simply ask. We ask the Holy Spirit would work in us to restore us to God's original design. And this is the gospel, that that even when we rebel, even when we make horrible, selfish choices, that God still believes we are valuable and will pay anything to restore us to the original design. Which is hard to believe sometimes. We feel like broken handlebars. But God still sees us with the value of uh, Frankie the Picker trying to put together his 30s Harley Davidson. There is no price that is too great for God to restore us to the original design. Our text for today, if we pick up at verse 7. Jesus says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. For unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So if you're here last week, uh, you remember that we talked about the, uh, the observation that Jesus makes about the world and the guarantee he gives his disciples that following him will not endear us to those whose hearts and minds have been formed by the world. It just won't. And that's a discouraging thing to hear. 
that following Jesus means that there are people who aren't going to like us. Jesus was hated by the world, so we shouldn't be surprised when following him puts us at odds with the world, too. And by the way, I think this is exactly what Hallmark needs to start putting on their baptism cards. Uh, I have a design that I'm going to send uh, to Hallmark. Uh, Blessings on your baptism. May you grow in the love of God and be more hated by the world each day. I don't think they'll take it. But I think it sets a better expectation for us in what sometimes the Christian life can feel like. Because everybody wants to be liked. I mean, even people who don't care if you like me or not, they still don't want to actively be disliked. And Jesus tells us that following him isn't going to make us, uh, isn't going to endear us in any special way to the world around us. So, so why? Why should we follow Jesus if we know a consequence is that the people whose hearts and minds have been shaped by the world aren't going to particularly like us? It's worth it because it's true. And the Holy Spirit will testify to this truth, that the world is wrong about sin and death. That Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and the prince of the world stands condemned. This is Jesus' promise to his disciples, and this is his promise to us. That when the disciples are thrown out of the synagogue, when they are persecuted, when they are killed, it will all be worth it. Because the truth is worth it. Being restored to who we were created to be is worth it. Being perfected for life in the new creation is worth it. Because the world stands convicted. Uh, The phrase that the NIV translates, prove the world to be in the wrong, is uh, this Hebrew phrase, elenko. Um, Which, if we were to translate that in a way that's a little more direct, uh, would come out something more along the lines of uh, convict the world. That the Holy Spirit not only proves the world to be wrong, but convicts, like in in a legal sense. The, the image here is that the Holy Spirit is, is something of like a bombshell eyewitness whose testimony convicts the world of the wrong-headed view of sin and righteousness. The implication is that Jesus is saying that the way of the world will only lead to destruction, even though it may believe that it holds the path to salvation. Because salvation is found in Christ and the Spirit testifies to this reality. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are perfected for the life to come. Now, I'd be uh, remiss if um, 
if I failed to mention that, that, that Jesus isn't joking when he says that he's returning to the Father and sending the Holy Spirit as, as an advocate. Um, you know, just, just last weekend, a, a popular megachurch pastor down south um, was preaching on this passage, uh, and he made a boo-boo. Now, I don't think he did it on purpose. Like, I don't think it was malicious. Um, but sometimes when you're up here, uh, you get a little bit too excited, and a phrase pops into your head, and it sounds really smart in your head, then it comes out of your mouth, and you're like, ooh, that wasn't very smart. Um, and my guess is on Monday, he went back and he, he watched the replay and he said, I said that. Um, because uh, last weekend, as he was preaching on this passage, uh, he said, uh, uh, Jesus is going to change forms. Which is modalism, Patrick. It's a heresy condemned in the fourth century. God doesn't uh, change forms. This isn't the way that, that Christians understand Jesus' teaching to his disciples. Because the Trinity isn't three forms, it's three persons. Uh, the Trinity is not like ice and water and steam, which are all water, but you know can be vapor or solid. Uh, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it's, it's, it's not like um, how a man can be a husband and a father and a son. The Bible teaches us that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are distinct but inseparable persons who are eternally one in essence and in power. Now, this uh, may sound like splitting hairs, but it really is important. Because the triunity of God is foundational for our understanding of the self-giving and submitting love that God shows to us and to the rest of creation. Because we believe that God has eternally existed in this triunity. Uh, the phrase that was used by some of the early church fathers was perichoresis. Um, it's a Greek uh, a phrase, um, and it points to this uh, sort of eternal divine dance that's in perfect synchrony. Um, the, the image is, is, uh, is almost of, you know, the members of the Trinity are constantly like swooping under each other to undergird them and lift them up. It's this, um, you know, sometimes you see like the braid imagery. Um, so, so the, the biggest event in human history, right? The incarnation. God comes into the world in the person of Jesus. And Jesus empties himself to take on flesh, to be born an infant Messiah. And if we fail to, to capture this, then, then, then this event starts to look like something that's out of character for God. When in reality, the incarnation exposes the true nature of the Godhead. That God has always been at the very uh, center of God's character in mutual submission to the other members of the Godhead. It's this continual uh, desire to, to, to get low and to, to lift up and to be uh, supporting and loving of one another. 
So the work of the Holy Spirit is to perfect us. And it's not just about, um, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, hallmark channel idea of heaven where you're sitting on clouds in long white robes playing a harp for eternity. No, the, the Holy Spirit is perfecting us so that in new creation we can share eternal life with God. That we can in some mysterious way enter into this divine dance of the Trinity that I encourage you not to think too hard about because it might melt your brain. And as I think about it probably too hard, it starts to melt my brain. The thing that's craziest to me is recognizing that knowing God and being part of this eternal communion with God is written into our very original design as humans. When God knit us together in our mother's wombs, we are designed to know him. We are designed to be in this, this relationship of, of agency and love. That we can, uh, that our original design calls for submitting to God and realizing in the process that we cannot prostrate ourselves so low that he can't get below us to lift us up. We live in a world that tells us we should always be climbing. Always climbing. Because if you get low, some bad actor will come along and they'll use you as a step to get higher. That if you just keep climbing, you know, eventually you'll get to this, you know, the top of the sea of humanity and you'll take a big breath of fresh air. But the promise of God is that if we get out of that chaos, if we stop trying to climb to the top and instead find ourselves digging down to the bottom... That when we trust God and when we submit to God, that he will never exploit or abuse us. But we'll find that no matter how low we can bring ourselves in submission to him, we will never be crushed. But the lower we go, the more strength that we will find, the firmer our footing will become. Because in the kingdom, the way up is down. And that is good news. Let's pray together. Almighty God, you have created this world and everything in it and called it good. This world is designed in a beautiful and cooperative and kind way. But Lord, we get scared, 
We get selfish. And we break each other. And Lord, we are so thankful that no matter how much we break one another, that no matter how much we break ourselves, that no matter how much the weight of the world breaks us, that you continue to see us as valuable. That you will continue to spend whatever it costs to buy all of our pieces and put them back together again. To restore us back to your original design. Lord, give us the courage to allow you to do that. Give us the courage to make the daily decision to submit. To go low. To find the firm foundation that is you. Lord, we thank you for the love that you show us. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.